0: Hey guys, welcome to my podcast. I pray you are empowered to walk in the fullness of your God design. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And remember, enforcing purpose, it starts with you. So I don't know what God has in mind today, but I'm excited to talk to you about the Bride of Christ. So we're all familiar with the word bride, and we love that word, right? We love the word bride. It kind of carries a different connotation than the word wife. You know, wife kind of sounds old. And bride kind of sounds young and, you know, everything is still in its place and your hair is still thick and full and your breasts are still up where they're supposed to be. Um, But then when we use the word wife, it's a difference. It carries a different connotation. You know, when Brad refers to me as his bride, it, it carries an affection that's different than when he calls me his wife. There's just a difference there. It's the idea of kind of being in the honeymoon phase and being in love affectionately. You understand what I'm saying about being in love affectionately, that it's different than just the position of being in love or the position of being married, but I'm affectionately in love. I'm affectionately in relationship. It denotes the idea of anticipation, right? We love the idea of being called the bride of Christ because it tells me that I'm I'm awaiting something. There's something I'm anticipating, that there is something that is more to come, that there is a day that is coming when I will be reunited with Jesus in the heavenlies. That's what it tells us in Revelation, right? So we're going to be talking today about what is actually being said when he's talking about the bride of Christ, but what does that mean for us today? I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when I hear teachings on Revelations, my eyeballs start to kind of roll back in my head and I kind of glaze over and I'm like, what does any of that have to do with the struggles I have with my teenager, right? So like, like what is, how is this relevant to who we are today, what we're called to do, who God has created me, be, me to be today, today. So as a bride, you're looking forward to the wedding. And with each day, you grow more excited and you grow more in love with the one you are going to marry. You know, we've all heard that story where the guy continuously says, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna marry you. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna get married. Yeah, baby, we're gonna get married. But what, what shows that he's true to his word is when he places a ring on her finger. And I'm reminded of the sealing promise of the Holy Spirit that we're told in Ephesians that the sealing promise of the Holy Spirit is like Jesus putting a ring on our finger that says, I'm going to meet you. I'm going to meet you again. I'm going to meet you in the heavenlies that when I say, I want to be one with you, I am true to my word. So just like the ring that's placed on our finger as a a symbol that there is a wedding feast coming, that there is a day coming, that there is a date coming when I'm going to stand at an altar and I'm going to become united with my groom, so the Holy Spirit is a reminder for us that there is a day coming, there is a time coming when I'm going to stand at the throne room of God and I'm going to be reunited with my Savior, Jesus Christ. But what does that mean to me today? What does it mean for me today that I am the bride of Christ? In the biblical times, there was always what they called the betrothal period, in which the bride and the groom were separated until the wedding. And her responsibility during the betrothal period was to be making herself ready. I'm going to say that again, because biblically, we are in the betrothal period where we are separated and we are to be making ourselves ready. She pursues intimacy with her bridegroom during this time frame. Sometimes we go to marriage counseling. We try to lose weight. We want to grow out our hair. We go and get tanned. Whatever it is, we're trying to make ourselves ready for the day when we'll be reunited with our groom. She's found to be passionate and not lukewarm in her love. The bride's responsibility in the betrothal period is to keep herself pure and holy and to make herself ready, to be faithful, to have only one love and not many loves, but to be faithful to him. In Revelations 19, it says this, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And listen to this, it says, and his wife has made herself ready. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her, that's you, that's me, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I want to ask you a question today. Are you ready? What are you doing to ready yourself? Are you prepared for the coming of Christ? Now, when I say that, I don't want us to think about just the rapture coming of Christ. I want you to think about tomorrow. When God shows up in your circumstance, are you ready? Are you ready to hear him? Are your eyes set upon him? Will you miss him because you were ill prepared? If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew 25 with me. I'm going to read straight through this story, and then we're going to, we're going to teach and preach and learn right from this, this story. This is a parable, Matthew 25. If you have your Bible, please open it up. If you have an iPhone, open it up. Please read it along with me. The Holy Spirit will speak things to you that I cannot comprehend. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them are wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, this is the betrothal period that we're talking about. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and they slept. And at a midnight cry, when a midnight cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there not be enough for us and for you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and he said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now, I would like to propose to you that we have always heard this taught being about the rapture. But what does it mean for us today? Moreover, we reference the bride of Christ like it's something that someday we will experience. But isn't it true that we can experience what it means to be the bride of Christ while we are here in this lifetime? I would like to propose to you that we always hear this story taught that it's about five unbelievers and it's five believers. But that's not what this story is saying at all. Because if you'll notice, all ten of them were carrying lamps. And the oil lamps are a, reputation, a representation of a carrying of the Word. So remember, uh, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So when we see a lamp in the Bible, an oil lamp, it's the idea of the Word. I'm carrying the Word. I have the Word, and I have oil. All ten of them had oil. But five of them were not prepared. They didn't carry spare oil to continual, continually be filling their lamps. So, all of them were what we call the body of Christ. But is there a difference between just being in the body of Christ and entering into the bridal chamber? Is there something more that you and I could be experiencing in regard to intimacy? What is the difference between being in the body of Christ and being the bride of Christ? Come on, what is the difference between being the wife of Brad? and being the bride of bread. You see, I think that a lot of us have entered into the body of Christ. We've entered into salvation, but we've never consummated our relationship with Christ. Let's just keep it really serious. In history, when they would go in, in biblical times and ancient times, they would go in and they would marry at the altar, and there was a room, and it was called the bridal chamber, and as soon as they made their vows, they would go, the the groom and the bride would go into this bridal chamber, they would shut the door, they would lock it, the best man would stand guard, and for seven days they would consummate their marriage. And then they would come out and they would have a feast, and they would celebrate not just the marriage, but the consummation of the marriage. So there was intimacy, there was something that took place in that bridal chamber that was different than what we possibly are not experiencing. So I want you to consider, I want you to consider that it's possible that 50% of us, because this is a prophetic word saying there are 50% of my church are not experiencing the bridal chamber. 50% of my church are rapping at the door, but the door has been shut because they have not entered in to the, they haven't been prepared to enter into the bridal chamber. The Bible says in Revelations 3, 15, 22, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, so that me- because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, you have become we- I have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing, and do not know that you are actually wretched, and you're actually miserable, you're actually poor, you're actually blind, and you're actually naked, who is he speaking to here? He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to a church that has become a mixture of hot and cold. There's a lot of history about this passage. If you look at the map, it's to the, to the um, church of Laodicea. It's in the middle. Aeropolis is up here. Colossae is down here. Aeropolis, Colossae, they have hot springs, cold springs, and they built these underground aqueducts, and Laodicea would borrow water from the hot and the cold, and in the middle it just became stagnant and lukewarm. They didn't have a water source of their own. They had to borrow from those around them. Come on. Now, some people say that's true. Some people it's not say it's true. I've also heard it said that the cold water represents the rigidity and the coldness of the law, being mixed with the fire of the Holy Spirit. And when you try and do both, you come up with lukewarm. I would like to propose to you that 50% of us in this room today are lukewarm. And because you think... Because you say, I am rich, because you say, I am wealthy, because you say, I have need of nothing, you will miss out on the bridal chamber. You will miss out on the fire, on the passion, on the betrothal, the honeymoon phase that we get to live within all the days of our lives. This passage goes on and says, I counsel you. Listen to this, it's a fascinating verse. I swear to you, it's fresh. I like wiped my Bible and I thought the ink was still wet. I was like, where did that come from? <laughs> and also, fun fact last night I actually dreamt this passage. And the Lord was like, insert this in your message. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I counsel you to buy from me, capital M, I counsel you to buy from me gold that has been refined by fire so that you may be rich. I counsel to you to buy from me gold refined by the fire, so that you may become rich, and wear white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and your eyes will be anointed with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten, And he goes on, he says, therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. I'm going to come back to that, but I want you to put a pin in that. I stand at the door and I knock because we're seeing the absolute opposite of what we just read in Matthew 25. Let's go back to Matthew 25 because I want us to walk through and see what God is saying to us personally. Verse 1, it says, when my coming draws near, heaven's kingdom realm can be compared to ten maidens who took their oil lamps and went outside to meet the bridegroom. I want you to think about this image of taking your oil lamp, taking your word, girding yourself up in the word of God, and every day you get up and you live your life like this, in anticipation, girded. With the word of God, I'm ready. I'm anticipating that today, not in tomorrow, that today I'm going to see Jesus. I'm going to see Jesus when I go to work. I'm going to see Jesus in a conversation that I have with my husband. I'm going to see Jesus in a conversation that I have with my teenager. I'm going to see Jesus in that difficult relationship. I've got my lamp. I've got my oil. I've got the word. I'm carrying the spirit, and I'm getting up, and I'm ready. I'm watching and I'm living in anticipation because I don't want to be found ill-prepared. I don't want to be left behind. I don't want to be watching everybody else entering into a state of intimacy with Jesus while I stand on the outside and say, I wish he loved me like that. While I stand on the outside and say, why isn't God healing me? Why isn't God delivering me from my depression while I'm left standing on the outside blaming God because I've not been ready when I've not been ready? He says, I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready. Anna and Simeon did not miss out on an encounter with Jesus because they were anticipating it. I love that song, night, day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day, 24 hours a day, every minute of the day, may praise and worship be flowing up and out of my being. Let it continuously arise because I'm in a continual state of readiness. I'm in a continual state expecting, anticipating that in every moment of my day, I'm going to experience the goodness of God. I'm expecting it. I'm putting a demand on heaven. When I wake up in the morning, I'm not saying, gosh, I hope, but I'm saying, I'm ready. I know, and I'm watching. And I'm gonna put a demand on what God says is true for me today. And that is, today I will walk, I will live, I will be in the bridal chamber. I will walk in the intimacy of my God. I will walk in the intimacy that a bride walks in with her bridegroom. Are you ready? Luke 2, it says this, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just, and he was devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was what? He was waiting. He was waiting. People thought he was ridiculous that he would wait. Every day he showed up in the temple and he would wait on the consolation. He believed the word of God that a consolation is coming, a reuniting is coming, a reconciliation is coming, a Messiah is coming. There's a love who is coming. There is a Savior who is coming. And there was one who would show up at the temple every day and he would wait and he would watch and he didn't miss it. I wonder how many people were in the temple that day, Sarah. I wonder. And only one saw it. And it was the one who was waiting, the one who was anticipating. It says this, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Anna was a woman who was a widow of about 84 years old, who never departed from the temple, but rather she served God day and night, night and day with fastings and prayers. She was waiting. She was anticipating. There was a forward lean in their life because they were living their life in expectation, are you anticipating Jesus in your life? Are you watching for him? Are you expecting him? Or are you just thinking, well, golly gee, I hope. There's a big difference. Are you living in the anticipation that he will show up? Verses 2 through 4, it says, five of them were foolish and ill-prepared. For they took no extra oil for their lamps. Five of them were wise for they took flasks of olive oil with their lamps. Now, again, often we think we assume the fool is the unbeliever. You should not assume. You should not assume. Is it possible that even as a believer you can be foolish and ill prepared? Absolutely. Do you know that the proverbs speaking to the believer talks about the fool sixty-six times? More than any other book in the Bible, it speaks to the fool. It gives the characteristics. I, wa- I was like, man, this would be a great message. It would kind of be a downer message, but to just identify the characteristics. I was like, yeah, Ooh, yeah, Ooh, yeah, that too. And I'm literally, you know, like Psalm 73 when he says, when I said my set on all of these things, I became a brute beast before you. That's the attitude, the mindset of a fool. The Bible says in Proverbs 26, 11, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Anybody find yourself doing the same dumb thing over and over again? Come on, I'm the only fool in the room. I'm just saying, again, we're disputing the fact that we dismiss this entire parable saying, oh, the, it's not talking, I'm, I'm the five over here. Are you? Or do you just think you are? Do you think you are because you're a believer? And so I'm on the believing side, but I'm here to challenge you and say, are you on the side of the bride of Christ? Are you beyond just the body of Christ? And have you entered into the bridal chamber? Are you ready and are you prepared? The definition of a fool says this. It comes from the root word mysterion, which denotes the idea of being dull or stupid, as if to be shut up, like there are things just shut up, to morally be a blockhead or to be absurd. Now, I can't make that up, but there are times in my life when I really think God was a really blockhead move. That was a really blockhead thing to say. That was a really, like, we have to understand that God is challenging us to move outside of our foolishness. How about Matthew chapter 7 where it says, The wise man is the one who hears the word, puts it into practice, and his house shall be like that built upon a rock. But the foolish man is the one who hears the word but does not do it, and his house shifts when the storm comes. This denotes, this suggests the idea that a fool isn't just an unbeliever. That a fool can be a believer who hears the word but doesn't do it. Come on, am I speaking to anybody in this room? Because there are times in my life, I'm going to be the only transparent person in the room. There are a lot of times in my life, more than I'd like to share, that I hear the word of God and I don't do it. And I'll, I'll make excuses. For why I don't do it. And then when the opportune time comes and the door is shut, I rap at the door going, God, come on. And he's like, no, 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 I told you back here. But you showed up now in your urgency, but you're not prepared. Come on. We live our life with God. Oh, I need God. Oh, I need this. Oh, I need that, And God's like, no, no, no. This, this is a relationship that we're in. We're beyond just dating and showing up every Sunday morning for a date. Come on. I want us to enter into the bride of Christ. And let me say this. I was sitting here earlier. I don't know, Brittany, if you heard me kind of chuckle because God's funny sometimes. And he said, talk to them about the difference between being bride and bridezilla. (laughs) (laughs) And the Lord was speaking to me about religion and how a lot of times we see a bride and how she's real grouchy and it's because she wants her wedding day to look perfect and everything's got to be in order, right? And it's like, and some of us are living our relationship with God like that. I gotta be perfect. I gotta be whole. I gotta have my hair together. I gotta say the right things. I can't make it. Any... And we are like bridezilla in the bride of Christ. Because you're doing things out of works instead of out of love. Because you know what it looks like to be the bride of Christ, but your heart isn't in it. Just your actions are in it. Because you haven't been spending time in the bridal chamber. There's no intimacy, and it's not coming up out of the intimacy. And so instead, you look like Martha instead of Mary. And you look like Bridezilla calling yourself the Bride of Christ because you're cranky, you yell at your kids, you complain about your boss, you gossip about your friends, you complain about your house, you fuss about your finances. Come on, there's a reason why I can list all this so fast, y'all. That's That's Bridezilla. We're called to be the bride of Christ, not the bridezilla of Christ. That was all just fresh, just a fresh anointing right there. That's how God does. So five of them were foolish, ill-prepared. Are you a fool? Listen to this now. The wise means practical, sensible, and far-sighted. Farsighted. We know in Colossians 3:2 it says, to set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. Like I am thinking long. I'm not thinking right now in this moment, I'm living long, I'm viewing long, I'm thinking from a far-sighted perspective, I'm anticipating, I'm looking, I'm recognizing, I tell my kids all the time, a wise choice is one you make, one you will make that you won't regret tomorrow. That requires me to think far-sighted. it requires me to look long, it requires me to think beyond just the moment. We, live with, we work with people all the time who are in what we call survival mode and they make what we feel like are pretty dumb decisions because they can't think about their tomorrow. All they can think about is the urgency of their moment. They live their life like this. And never preparing for their tomorrow and say they live in this constant they live in ICU. They live in a constant critical state, a constant state of urgency, a constant state of worry, a constant state of anxiety, a constant state of drama and they're living their life like this. Rapping on the door of the bridal chamber and God's like, look, I, I tried to invite you a week ago. I told you to be ready. I told you to do this. I told you to obey. I told you to follow my word. And now you're in this state of urgency and you're banging on my door. Now, I, now what I don't want is I don't want to give you a religious works message. But I do want you to be honest I do want to be honest and tell you that God has given you a free will, and every day He's inviting us into the bridal chamber, and the more you choose to say no to that chamber, the more the door will be shut to opportunity. We wonder why joy has been shut out of our heart. Because your soul, your mind, is that doorway. And we read in Revelations where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And for the first time in my life, as I was sitting there and I was reading that, I was thinking in my mind, I've always heard that story that I'm here and God's on the outside and he's knocking on my door and he wants me to get saved, right? So how we've heard that is how it's been taught. But if you read it in context, he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to believers. So I have to ask myself, God, what are you really saying in this? And he said, it means I stand inside the heart of believers, inside, locked up by your soul, knocking and saying, let me out. Loose my joy. Loose my grace. Loose my love. I am inside your heart and I am knocking on your door saying, let me out. Break that vow. Instead of him Knocking on the outside, he's knocking on the inside saying, let me out. Loose me in your life. Let me love you. Come on, this is no longer about what I can do for God. It's about what he's done for me. It's no longer about my commitment to God. It's about my surrender to God. It's no longer about my love for him. It's about settling myself in the love of God. Come on, that seems so easy. You know, the Bible says we only love because he first loved us. But Bridezilla knows how to love. But she crabs about it in her bedroom. I went and I served those people, and did you see how they treated me? (laughs) Well, what'd you serve them for? To get a thank you? Because if that's why you're serving, don't go into ministry. Patrice, amen? I have no idea where I'm in my notes. Are you intentionally putting the word of God into practice in your life? Would you be considered a fool? Would you be considered wise? Are you prepared? When the bridegroom didn't come, when expected, they all grew drowsy and they fell asleep. Now, come on. The opposite of love is apathy. And let's be honest, when we're waiting for something, when we're praying for something, we're anticipating for something, and it is delayed, we grow weak, weary, discouraged. We get apathetic. Well, a lot of us experience this in our own marriage. You know, after five, six, seven years, like, eh. And we've gotten apathetic in our natural relationships and we've gotten apathetic in our relationship with God. When God says, I call you the bride of Christ, that means we're in a continuum of the honeymoon. That means we're continuously intentional to date each other. We're continuously intentional to spend time with each other. We're continuously intentional to come in to the bridal chamber together, to be intimate with one another. We're continually intentional to spend time with one another. But when we lose hope, with our hope goes our tenacity and our ability to suffer long in the waiting. You know, it talks about the fruit of patience. I love in the King James Version, it doesn't say patience. It says the fruit of long suffering. That sounds like it describes patience much, much better to me. But we've lost our ability to suffer long. And we get frustrated and we get discouraged. We experience disappointment. Come on, I'm talking to everybody in this room. And we get lazy in our relationship with God. Look, it's, it's easy for me to love Brad when he's like all up and all affectionate and he's doing everything around the house and I can see all the works. But when Brad is like, you know, disappeared and he's just not, I'm like, oh, I got to work to love him because I'm really irritated with him right now. That's how it is with God, right? We go through seasons where we see God doing all these things in our life, but then we go through seasons where we feel like we're in the season of silence. We go through seasons where we feel like we're in the wilderness. So we're like, God, where are you? And God is saying, does it matter? Will you still love me? Will you still pursue me? Or will you grow drowsy and fall asleep? We have to decide that we are not going to get lukewarm. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 that we're going to put on the full armor of God so that in the day of battle you will stand. And so when we're not in battle, are you girding yourself up with the word of God? Are you girding yourself up with the armor of God so that when you are in battle? Because again, what happens is we grow lazy, we grow apathetic, and then we get in this state of urgency and we're not ready and we're ill-prepared. And we're like, oh my God, 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 here! And we're at the door in desperation and urgency instead of saying it doesn't matter I'm ready I'm prepared I'm girded up I have put on the full armor of God so that when the day of battle comes I will stand I recognize that I am girded up with the full armor of God I am girded in his love I am all wrapped up in the affections of the kingdom and I am ready I will not be taken off guard I will not be ill prepared I am ready come on everybody say I am ready are you alert are you spiritually awake The Bible says, wake up, O sleeper. Who's he speaking to when he says that? He's speaking to the believer. He's speaking to the believer who has grown apathetic, lazy, and you've fallen asleep. You've gotten drowsy in your relationship with the Lord. Are you drowsy? Not in the spirit, Mama Shirley. I know you're drowsy all the time in the spirit. The Bible says in Hebrews, be careful lest you drift away from the things that I've taught you. Come on, everybody in this room is wise enough, mature enough, that we're not going to just leap off the canyon and start doing drugs tomorrow. (laughs) But the caution here isn't that you would take this leap into this great plunge of darkness. The caution here is be careful lest you drift away because you haven't been intentional to stay near. You haven't been intentional to cultivate. In verse 6 it says, Then suddenly in the middle of the night they were awakened by the shout, Get up! The bridegroom is here. Come out and have an encounter with him. Come out and have an encounter with him. I'm just going to say that one more time. Come out and have an encounter with him. So all the girls got up and they trimmed their lamps. The Bible says in Revelations, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping all of his garments on that he may not go, out, go about naked and be seen exposed. Again, God is wanting to do things in your today. I'm not just talking about in the rapture. I'm talking about tomorrow. God shows up and he will because he's never left you. When he reveals himself in the middle of a conversation, will you be found exposed and naked? Come on, what's the air of your language? What's the air of your conversation? What's the air of your attitude? Will you be found ungarmented by the love of God? Will you be found in your anger? Will you be found in your depression? Will you be found in your unforgiveness? Or will you be found girded up with the fullness of the fruit of the Spirit? How will you be found? Because you have to be awake and alert and ready because at any moment, it's not just in our tomorrow, it's in our today. Are you ready? Are you ready? Bible says this, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was going to come, he would have stayed awake all night, and he would not have let his house be broken into. If we knew, if we knew what God was going to do tomorrow, in the next hour, Brittany, you're going to have an encounter with God. I'm just going to speak that over you, because God says, I have the authority to decide prophetically. You're going to have an encounter, and I'm just declaring right now that you won't miss it. You won't miss it. But if you didn't know, would you still be ready to encounter him? If I hadn't just prophesied it, what I just prophesied that it would have shifted something in your heart and your mind to be more alert, to be watching, to be expecting. I'm now expecting you're going to text me when it happens. But had I not spoken that, would you still be the same way? Would you still be watching and expecting? Because every moment, God wants to do something. Every moment, every time you take a breath, there's a miracle. Every time your heart beats without you telling it to, there's a miracle. But me speaking that over you shifted in the anticipation. And I'm telling you, God is speaking that every day. Today, I'm going to show up. Today, Amy, I'm going to show up in your life. I want you to have your eyes wide open. I've given you ears that you would hear. I've given you eyes that you would see. I've given you a heart that you would know. By the Holy Spirit, you will perceive all that I am doing in your life. And you will be ready. In Jesus' name. I just speak that over you. I can say that over every single person in here. Because the truth is, every moment God wants to show up. But if you are not alert, if you are drowsy, if you don't have your oil replenished in your lamp, you will miss it. Your friend will go in and you will not. And you'll be found at the door. Why does she get to experience that and I don't? Are you girded up and ready at all times, knowing that any moment God can show up? In verse 8 it says, But the foolish ones were running out of oil, so they said to the five wise ones, Share your oil with us, because our lamps are going out. I would like to propose to you that the Bible says that instead of being drunk with wine, which is rebellion, you should be continuously filled. Filled continuously. If you read it in the original Greek, is the idea of be being filled, which is terrible English. But I don't know how else you could play. You're in a constant being state of being filled. You're in a constant being state of being filled. I'm going to say it again. Your very being is always being filled, continuously being filled so that you are not found without the oil that you need. I I think I preached here um, probably maybe two years ago now, maybe a year ago, I don't know, on the glory versus the anointing. And I talked about the capacity, the capacity of your character, right? That's the book for 2022, by the way. Um, That's Your capacity, I'm reminded of the the widow woman where it says, go and get all the jars, as many jars as you can. But when she ran out of capacity, that's when her oil ran out. And so when we're sitting in the bridal chamber and we're allowing the Lord to refine our character, we're allowing the Lord to reveal any spot or any wrinkle, we're allowing the Lord to purify us, to make us holy, to make us more ready, our capacity begins to increase, and it's no longer about this continual filling, but it's a continual overflowing, and I'm able to carry and I'm able to contain even more because my capacity has increased. I want to propose to you that every single person in here has the ability to have your capacity increase. That you could be carrying more of the anointing. That you could be displaying more of the anointing. That you could be flowing in the more of the anointing. That you could be loving people better. Come on. That you could be quicker to forgive. Now, now, they're, now they're getting it. I use the word anointing. That's too big for me. No, let me keep it real. That you could be forgiving quicker. That you could be reconciling quicker. That you could be laughing faster in the, in the sight of crap in your life. Did I just say crap? I'm sorry. I try to control it. That's your capacity. Is when you have your character increased to the point where your capacity is increased and you're constantly overflowing. They said this, we can't, we don't have enough oil for all of us. You'll have to go out and buy some for yourselves. Now I want to go back to that passage that talked about Aeropolis and Colossae and Laodicea and the borrowed faith. Because what they were saying here is, look, I haven't been prepared. I haven't been carrying my own oil. I haven't been cultivating my own relationship. I haven't been cultivating my own. Come on, when you wake up in the morning and you have to go to your devotional to get filled. I-, I write devotionals, guys. I'm in favor of devotionals. But if you haven't figured out how to just go right to the word, if you haven't figured out how to just hear right from the Holy Spirit, it's possible you're borrowing water from another city and you're living off the revelation of people around you, and you're constantly saying, Amy, gosh, God is doing amazing things. Tell me your healing story again, because my faith is, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying if she is my only source of faith, of increasing my faith because I need a healing, there's something I'm missing out on. We have to learn to cultivate our own oil in our own lives and stop relying on the people around us to stir up our oil for us stop pulling from the hot springs stop pulling from the cold springs stop having a mixture of your flesh and somebody else's anointing coming up with this imitation anointing in your own life I've never said that before in my life but it was good I'm going to say it again Because some of us have a mixture. We're living a mixture. Because really that lukewarmness, that's what he's talking about. Whether it's talking about the aqueducts, whether it's talking about the law or the spirit, we don't really know. But what we do know is he's saying, you as believers have become lukewarm. You've become a mixture. You have had too many loves. The bride of Christ only has one love. The bride of Christ only has one. One thing her heart is set on. The bride of Christ has no mixture in her life. She is not consulting all the people around her about her future. She's consulting her groom about her future. Come on, she's not consulting all the people around her about her relationships. She's consulting with her groom about her relationships. She has only one source. He is the one. He is her one. He is the only one, and there is no mixture there. She is not found lukewarm. She is solely hot or she's solely cold. But either way, there's benefit to a hot spring and there's a cold spring, but there is no benefit to lukewarm water. A hot spring, people would come from all over so they could sit in it for medicinal purposes. It had a purpose. It had a work. It was a faith with a work. A cold spring, people would come from all over. Y'all, they didn't have, they didn't have ice cube makers. So a cold spring was like this thing that people would travel all over to get a drink of cold, fresh water. But then they would go to Laodicea and they would take a drink and they would find it to be lukewarm, stagnant, still, musty. It was a mixed faith and it was stagnant. Moreover, it was hidden. It was underground. All kinds of things you can learn from that story. But the point is, is this, we want to have our own oil and we want to be ready. It goes on, it says, while the five girls were out buying the oil, the bridegroom appeared. Those who were ready and waiting were escorted inside with him and the wedding party, and they enjoyed the feast. Come on, come on. The Bible says that we can feast at a table, that we can eat at at a table in the presence of our enemy, to feast at at the goodness of God, to feast at a table, to sit with Jesus at a table. Come on, every morning, you have the invitation. Every afternoon, you have the invitation. Every moment, you have the invitation where you feel that you hear the Lord saying, come, sit with me. Dine with me. Come on, I see you're upset right now. Come on, I see you're frustrated. But if you just sit with me for a moment, I will exchange your frustration for freedom. If you will come and you'll sit with me for a moment, I will exchange your depression for joy. If you will come and just sit with me for a moment, I will exchange your darkness for light. Come on, if you would just sit with me, if you would just feast with me, the door is wide open. Come on, we we talk about this passage and we have to recognize that it is comparing to the body, the soul, and the spirit. And we have been given the ability to go beyond the soul into the holy of holies because the veil was torn. The holy of holies is that place of mystical union, it is the bridal chamber and God is saying, would you please come through your soul and settle yourself into the holy of holies? Would you please come through your depression and settle yourself into the pit of my joy? Come on, he wants you to move beyond all of that. He wants you to settle in the bridal chamber. He wants you to receive the intimacy that we find in the bridal chamber. And this is a now word. This isn't a, this isn't a rapture word. It's a now word. The Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is at hand meaning it is available to me now. Why am I waiting to feast, to have my wedding supper with the lamb until the rapture when God says, here I am, here's the fruit of the spirit, here's my presence, come on. And he's at the inside of my heart knocking like this going, come on, baby, come on, baby, come on, baby. If you would just let me out and we would be one together, that we would consummate our relationship in the bridal chamber, Chamber, you have no idea what I can do for you. You have no idea. Is it possible you think you know, but you don't? It's possible I think I know, and I don't. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I stood right here. Uh, y'all, I can barely talk about it. I stood right here in this spot, and I saw the heavens open up, and it was so overwhelming to my physical body, and I thought in my mind, at one point I saw this. Uh, you can't, I can't describe it coming closer to me. And I thought, no, don't get any closer to me because I can't take it. Like I thought my physical body was going to die. And I got up and I walked away and I said, we think we know, but we don't. We don't. But I guarantee you in this life, God wants to reveal to you more. If only, if only you would do your part. Make yourself ready. Prepare yourself. Enter into the bridal chamber. Don't be found without the oil. Don't be left out of what God is doing today. God wants to do things in your life today. Come on, everybody say today. I'm not waiting. I'm not waiting anymore. I'm not waiting anymore. So I would like to propose to you that your soul is the doorway that either opens or shuts off that bridal chamber based on what you choose to think, where you set your mind, where you set your heart. If you want to set your heart on the things of this world, you've shut the door to the bridal chamber. If you want to set your mind on the nasty conversation you just had, you've shut the bridal chamber to, the, to peace. Come on, let's just keep it real. See, the bridal chamber holds the fullness of God's character, the fullness, the freedom of his kingdom. But when we choose to set our mind on something other than kingdom mentality, I shut the door to the offerings of the kingdom in that moment. When I feel the Lord saying, let me love you in this moment, and I'm like, I'm too busy. I shut the door to intimacy. I shut the door to the affections of the kingdom. I posted on my wall a couple weeks ago that any evidence of fear is a lack of affections of the kingdom. And if we're honest with ourselves, not a day goes by where we don't feel or experience fear in a moment. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about setting my mind on fear. I'm talking about I feel fear, and so I'm going to go talk about it with Kyler. Instead of I feel fear and so I'm going to enter into my bridal chamber and I'm going to loose it through love of God. That's what I'm talking about. I want everybody to close your eyes. Patrice, if you're going to come up. I want you to remember that it says that the Bible says that deep calls into deep. And that's that place of that bridal chamber. And really recognizing that there is a difference between salvation and consummation. And I really feel like the Lord wants to take every single person in this room into its deeper, more intimate state. And Shirley, can I share something that you shared with her, me earlier? Do you trust me? Okay. She said, man, this is one of the best seasons of my life. And I wish that I had been healed miraculously, but now I'm glad I wasn't because I've experienced more intimacy through this than I've ever experienced in my life. And then she said this, I thought I knew, but man, what I'm walking through now is a whole nother level. Amy, you can say that. Every single one of us can say that about an experience in our life. But why do we wait for that urgency until we rap at the door? I want you to close your eyes. And I want to ask you are you ready? Not for the rapture, but are you ready today? If Jesus were to walk through and he is going to, he is here, come on. How will he find you? Will he find you naked and exposed? Will he find you watered down with many loves? Would he find you lukewarm? Are you ready for him to show up? Are you ready for a deeper state of intimacy, a deeper understanding of who he is? Are you ready to become one? Are you ready to say no to some of the loves in your life? Are you ready to say no to some of the things that are stealing your affection? Are you ready to say no to some of those relationships in your life? Are you ready to make some changes? Because you can't go where he's going and stay where you're at. If you want to go where he's going, you have to be willing to change where you're at. You have to be willing to say no to some things so that you have more capacity to carry around the oil and you would be ready. Come on, if if God showed up right here, right now in this moment and said, I'm calling you into this, would you say, yes, Lord, here I am. I'm ready, take me. Or would you be like, oh my gosh, I'm not ready, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. Come on, let's just be honest with ourselves. Are you ready for what God wants to do in you? Are you ready for him to show up? I want you to just visualize yourself right now with an oil lamp in your hand. Come on, we're just going to play on the mind's eye and let the Lord begin to just move prophetically. And I want you to visualize yourself and what you look like in a constant state of anticipation. What do you look like? What do you look like tonight when you're going to bed? Are you anticipating an encounter with Jesus while you're sleeping? Do you have a piece of paper and a pen beside your bed so that when you wake up, you're ready to write it down? Are you anticipating that that relationship you've been interceding for, are you anticipating that it's going to be healed? Are you ready? Are you anticipating that the healing you've been praying for, that it's going to, are you ready? Are you anticipating? Do you have your oil lamp and you're looking and you're watching and you're saying, I see a cloud kind of the size of a man's hand, so that must be it because you're living in such a state of anticipation that if you even catch a hint, you know that's it. You know that's it. You know that's it. What does it look like? for you to be carrying your lamp, girded up with the word, replenished in the oil, and ready for the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. Ready. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to click subscribe so you can catch each episode every month. I want you to walk in your fullness. For more information about other services and resources, head to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com. You can also find me on YouTube by searching Lisa Schwartz LLC. I look forward to connecting with you. Remember, enforcing purpose, it starts with you.